Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to A Friend and Me, the podcast about friendship, culture, and the kingdom of God, all through the lens of Pixar. Today, I'm going to be talking about A Bug's Life with my friend Caroline. And as you'll hear in the episode, Caroline and I were roommates during COVID. We lived in the same house together. So truly a friendship forged in fire. I was a joy to be able to talk with her about A Bug's Life. But before we get to that conversation, I want to tell you all a little bit about some of the exciting things that are coming up with the podcast. I am recording some bonus episodes for my Patreon supporters on some Pixar shorts and on some non-Pixar films with some new friends. So I'm going to do some new friend episodes with people uh, who I've connected with on non-Pixar content. So this week, I am actually recording an episode on Encanto, the Disney film, with a new friend, Arumi, who I just met at Boston College in my class. So I'm really excited about that. If you haven't checked out my Patreon yet, I encourage you to consider that. Search Porter Sprig on Patreon, and you can become a monthly supporter, and you can gain access to some of that bonus content. I had some people reach out after the first episode and tell me that it inspired them to reconnect with Toy Story, and that is awesome. I really hope that this podcast will inspire you to reconnect with these stories that have meant so much to me, and I'm sure have meant so much to a lot of you as well. So keep on watching those Pixar films, and I hope that this podcast can invite you into reconnecting with those stories. And without further ado, let's turn to our conversation on A Bug's Life. Here's a quick summary of the movie from the internet. Interestingly, it kind of uses some religious language here, but this is just from Google. Flick is an inventive ant who's always messing things up for his colony. His latest mishap was destroying the food stores that were supposed to be used to pay off the grasshopper hopper. Now the strong-arming insect is demanding that the ants gather double the food or face annihilation. To avert disaster, Flick goes on a journey to recruit fighters to defend the colony. When he meets a band of high-flying circus insects, he thinks he's found his salvation. So there's the plot for you. I hope you enjoy this conversation between me and Caroline. I'm here today with my good friend Caroline, and we're going to talk about A Bug's Life. It's going to be awesome. We haven't actually watched the movie yet. Uh, we're just going to talk a little bit before we watch this film. So hi, Caroline. How are you today? Hi, Porter. I'm having an ideal day. Yeah? Why? It is beautiful outside. Mm -hmm. It is exciting to watch a movie that, you know, might be might be stretching me a bit, you know? <laughs> well, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. But yes, apparently Caroline has some weird vibes about Bugs Life, but hey, we'll get you know there. What? Yeah, it'll be fine. So Caroline, tell everyone a little bit about yourself, and then we'll talk a little bit about how we became friends. Yeah. So my name is Caroline with a K. I went to Gordon College with Porter, graduated 2019. I had a degree in biology when I was there. I worked a little bit in Iceland afterwards. Then I worked at an estate in Beverly Farms, which is local to the area we currently live. And now I'm working at a company called CultureWise, um, which is kind of a management consulting company that helps businesses develop and drive their cultures. So Caroline, let's talk a little bit about how we became friends. So we didn't really know each other that well at Gordon. True. 
But yeah, how did how did that come to be? Yeah, I think we had a group of mutual friends. You were living with some guys that I knew at Gordon. We had a mutual friend that I was living with. And we would hang out right after graduation. I think after you came back from your job during the summer and have game nights, go to yeah. movies. Good stuff. And then the year 2020, we lived in a community together with some of those guys and a mutual friend. And that was that was probably the height of our friendship, I would say, is yeah. getting to know each other during that time. Yeah, we... Nothing better to do. We have been through the pandemic in the same household. Yeah. So that definitely bonds you. Yeah. We had a good amount of growth through struggle, I would say. Yep, some conflict resolution there. Yes, yes. Mostly you and I trying to be the the peacemakers and yeah. reconcilers and I'd say in we, the group. We, but... Yeah, we played like a similar role in trying to bring reconciliation to the two sides of the COVID. Yes, the, <laughs> the COVID, COVID debacle. The COVID debacle. But let's say it worked. So yeah. there's been a lot of healing and restoration there. So, but yeah, it was, it was, it was tough. But there was one time we were talking. Oh, so this was before you lived in our house, but we had a conversation about COVID in the pouring rain <laughs> because we, we didn't want to wear masks inside or we, we thought the safest thing to do was be outside yeah. to talk. Yeah. But thunderstorm. It was raining. I, I do, wanna, I do want to say it was a thunderstorm. It was, yeah, raining buckets. We, we were just sitting at we a picnic table. We sat at a picnic table. table yelling to each other yeah yes it was it was pretty funny but hey very funny you know when you need to have a deep conversation in the middle of covid yeah why not in the in the pouring rain what this is reminding me of is just like we usually do have some good conversations porter kind of no matter the circumstance good banter some we have similar senses of humor i think one of the first things i tried to bond with you on is veggie tales Mm -hmm. (laughs) we had a an adult group Oh, that sounds weird. We had a Christian community. (laughs) (laughs) Adult group is fine until you said that. But anyway, keep going. We had a Christian community group that we were a part of after graduating Gordon. And we were trying to create events for other young adults that just graduated college. And Porter came up with the idea to watch VeggieTales while eating plant-based meals, which granted is a great idea. But I also was really, you know, really uh, encouraging the idea. Caroline was hyping it up like, this is the greatest idea known to man. (laughs) And I was here for it. I was like, yeah, it is a good idea. Thanks for telling me that. But I found out later it was just kind of like she really wanted to be friends with me. So she was hyping up VeggieTales. But hey, hey, we're good friends now. And I mean, how true was your hype of the my idea? No, like I said, I'm all all about the plant-based life. Okay. Okay. I'm a flexitarian, y'all. Oh, um, I didn't know this. Explain. What does that mean? Yeah, so I eat mostly vegetables. Okay. Um, I get a lot of my protein from vegetables. I'd say I'd eat meat once a week, usually if I'm eating it with other people or if meat is being used to flavor the, the dish I'm making. So I'm flexible. There you go. Did you know my parents are nutritarian or vegan or yes. whatever they are? <laughs> no. Yeah, I, I would say that's on the far end of the scale that I'm willing to go to. But yes. Yes. Shout out to you, mom. I am inspired by your ability yes. to eat lettuce and spinach for everything. But no, I'm kidding. She eats seeds as well. But yeah, I'm it excited would... to talk about A Bug's Life with you, Caroline. I, you mentioned you're a biology major. And yeah. that's why I thought, you know what? I need to pick someone who knows a lot about life and life science, because <laughs> that is going to be a crucial lens to analyze this film through. 
and I am rolling my eyes right now. <laughs> Bugs Life is objectively the most boring movie okay. next to the dinosaur one. Okay, let me ask so you. So what does that tell you about me? <laughs> Caroline, let me ask you a question. Have you seen A Bug's Life? No. Okay, so why do you have animosity towards it before we've even watched it? Okay, why have I not seen The Bug's Life? Wait, let me just <clears throat> let me just read y'all. Okay, looking up on the internet, A Bug's Life is scary. In addition to violent scenes mentioned above, A Bug's Life has some scenes that could be scare or disturb children under five years old. That's all I have to say. No, kidding. I was one of those children that was afraid of, like, The Lion King because of Scar and this specific book called Farmer Duck. Only the real ones will know. Any any kind of, like... Okay, so what you're saying (laughs) is you're scared that this movie will traumatize you. Yes, okay? Wow. I know I know Kevin Spacey isn't the scariest guy, but him as a grasshopper sounds pretty intimidating. Well, I mean Especially Kevin Spacey is a pretty scary guy in real life too. He's done some horrible things and has been canceled. <laughs> but oh. you're right. I don't think he was you'll you'll survive. You'll survive watching. I just this feel film. like I just feel like now my fears are validated. That's all I have to say. So she first was saying it would be too boring, but really the underlying thing was that she is scared of grasshoppers. <laughs> I but have to say- We're going to get there. Here's, here's my thing. I am a justice-oriented human. Oh, and good. from watching the scenes that I've seen from Bug's Life, like a little baby, innocent, chubby ant being held by its antennae by a gigantic Kevin Spacey grasshopper does not bode well for my dreams- Tonight. Okay, wow. That's all so I'm that saying. That is a very, uh, that's there a heavy some... statement. We will leave that though. We're going to get started and watching the movie. Hopefully, Caroline can overcome some of these fears that she has about this film. But justice oriented, that's a good thing because I, have... I think we will have some conversations about justice mm. and hope after watching this movie. I have hope for redemption. Okay, good. I think there's space in this movie to overcome evil. Yes. And. And I don't know. I'm, at least it's not a spider. That's all I have to say. Okay. At least, well, at we, least we may or may not have a spider that we meet okay. at some point in the movie. But we will come back to you all after we've watched the film. I'm packing you an extra pair of shoes and your angry eyes just in case. That was the voice of Mrs. Potato Head in Toy Story 2. Voice actress Estelle Harris passed away last week at the age of 93. She was best known for her role as George Costanza's mom in Seinfeld, but she also is a beloved member of the Pixar family, portraying Mrs. Potato Head in Toy Story 2 through 4. Mrs. Potato Head was a great addition to Toy Story. She rounds out Mr. Potato Head, no pun intended, and provides great comic relief. In my episode in a couple weeks about Toy Story 2, we'll talk about Estelle Harris a little bit more. But we just wanted to honor her here in this episode. So rest in peace, Estelle. And now, back to the show. All right. We just finished our viewing of A Bug's Life, Caroline. What did you think about this? Did it live up to your horror dreams, your, the terror of it? <laughs> yes and no. Uh-huh. I... I'm glad that I knew the grasshopper was going to be scary. As a child, I would have been scared. Yeah. As an adult, clearly, I have the emotional capability to deal with this. But come on. He's a crunchy bug 
They make him sound creaky. The grasshopper situation is terrifying. I will say that Hopper and Thumper, his kind of yes. feral sidekick, they are problematic. some of the most scary villains in Pixar. I can't think of others that are that just disturbing. That being said, the bug jokes won me over. Yeah. Hein- Heinrich? Heimrich? Heimlich. He- Heimlich. Yes, the, the <laughs> caterpillar. Was he your favorite? He's my favorite. Yeah. He's, no. a, he's a good one. So yeah, what, what do you think about, about the movie? What are your thoughts? Give it to me. Good, the bad, the ugly. I, like I said, bug humor is on point. Mm-hmm. Per capita, I've never experienced that many <laughs> bug jokes in a scene, especially the bar scene. I think it's very funny, the casting of the little flies as like the riffraff. I'm going to go with P.T. Flea as finally calling out how problematic P.T. Barnum is Yeah, <laughs> in The Greatest Showman. Hot take, maybe. Love the music. Don't love the portrayal of an exploitive circus manager who's using people and bugs with disabilities and uniquenesses for his own gain. And so I think they did a good job on... On roasting, out, on, on roasting, roasting the exploitative nature of circuses. Yeah. Yes, I'm. I'm gonna go. Yeah, that was yes. a win for me. <laughs> yes, PT Flea. I mean, he's just. It's all about the money for him. Yeah. So, you're right. There's a lot of jokes per minute. A lot of jokes about flies and poop. I feel like there's like five or six specifically yeah. about flies liking poop. Yeah. Um, which I'm here for it always. Yep. What I remember as a kid watching this was the joke about who's ready for the poo poo platter and then <laughs> all the flies fly around the little turd on the plate that was hilarious and it still is it's, it's still good. a good joke i like the bloody mary the o yeah. negative and the, mos- the mosquito sucks up the blood that's a funny one that was too a good one and then yeah there was a couple there was a couple other ones. we were wondering about the queen's love life <laughs> Because there's one scene where she's like talking to her attendant in a sort of flirtatious way. And the attendant goes, hubba hubba. Yes. <laughs> and we were like, oh, that didn't age well. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess ants, you're the biology expert. How? What is the romantic or love life of an ant, especially a queen ant? There would be a lot yeah. going on, right? I mean, the queens are there because they need to lay eggs. And pretty much any other male ant is yeah. the other half of that. <laughs> Gotcha. So we're going. I, I see, uh, yes. Do you think that the Flick and Ada love story that is, yeah, that's unrealistic. It's unrealistic. Okay. Yeah, and it didn't really land for me. I didn't think it didn't do much for me. Even if it was realistic, I wasn't that enamored with the Flick and Ada. I don't think they're yeah. really. Right I mean, for it each put other. more on the line for Flick to succeed. At the end of the day, it gave more gravity to the situation of him having to be the hero, yeah. and gravity on the situation that he lied to the entire colony, including his like love interest. So, I guess it was helpful for the storyline and sure. cute, sure, but didn't do. They much. have some. They have some fun moments, but for the most part, we're kind of blah on that love story. Yeah. But. You mentioned when we, at, right as we were watching it, you kind of mentioned you think this is a little darker than the average yeah. Pixar film. Tell me more about that. My resounding feeling at the end of watching this was like definitely more, maybe it was just because it was a bunch of bugs and that's a little uncomfortable maybe to watch, but my feeling leaving it was less joyful and redemptive than most Pixar movies. There was less joy and resolution. It was 
yeah, it landed kind of, it, it was not a great ending for me. Yeah, the ending with Hopper being eaten by a bird, it's it's there. I mean, villains, he's one of the few villains, I think, in Pixar to die. I agree with you that it doesn't feel like a very joyful, satisfying conclusion. It just kind of feels kind of, oh, oh gosh, he just got eaten by a bird. Which was also horrifying. Yes. <laughs> he's... I mean, the chicks were cute. Oh, I will I will say, I guess that is the one satisfying part about that, is that he was eaten by chicks. Because he's always about being the dominant one. So to be eaten by babies at the end, it's kind of just like this ultimate... That's such a good point. ...humiliation, I guess. Yeah. But do we want little kids watching Bugs Life to be like, yay, the villain got embarrassed and killed? Yeah, yeah I, I would say I think the movie has relatable characters, but they don't fit together well. So we have Flick, who's anxious about providing for his community in these creative ways. And then we have Hopper is just very dominant and aggressive and evil, but they don't really fit each other as hero and villain. You know, like mm. some of the best villains, they have a good correspondence with their hero. So you have the chaos of the Joker with the order of Batman, or mm. you have in Coco, another Pixar movie, you have this villain who's all obsessed with fame and and has rejected his family to achieve fame and then you have a character who's learning about the importance of family so it's you want these arcs to line up and i don't feel like hopper as a villain fits flick as a hero i think hopper he doesn't have anything for the audience to understand him so even in a villain, you want something to hang your hat on that you understand him and his motivations. And he's just, oh, I want to crush the weak. Like that is his thing. And he doesn't have any sort of underlying motivation behind that that we can identify or say, oh, that kind of makes sense. It doesn't. It's it's just evil, which there are people, you know, who have that sort of desire to go on a power trip, but I don't think Pixar did as well exploring him as a villain as they do with a lot of their other villains. I'm curious, now that I'm thinking about it, they mention his mother in the beginning of the yeah. movie. They never give... He's very one-dimensional, and I wonder if that was a hint at a backstory. Because there we he go. promised his dying mom that he would protect Molt. <laughs> but yes, maybe, that's true. And maybe that's his like oldest... Maybe he's an oldest child that like now is taking on a role that he doesn't feel equipped for... And he is like, if I can't dominate everyone, I'm not achieving my promise to my mother. Wow. Which again, that's <laughs> not how like yeah, Carol- bug you, reproduction Caroline. works. But Caroline, you fixed it. You we we should tell Pixar that they need to add a scene yeah. to the beginning of that film where we see the trauma yeah. of Hopper and Molt. I don't want that. No, yeah. <laughs> but it I think it would help this game. Yes. Yes. If we watched a mother die. I think that, that would make would this movie less dark and more relatable. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but yeah, no, Molt is my favorite of the two. I think he's a better yeah. son. I, I really do. He's just a funny, goofy guy. What? You don't really? like Molt? I don't like Molt. What? He's fun. He's he's probably my third, second or third favorite character. Why? Because he's funny. I don't know. I like the voice actor. I think he he has a good, I don't know. It's a well done character. Not that I'm saying he's an upstanding gentleman of society not that i'm saying he's morally good i'm just saying as a character in the film it works for me yeah. more than comic relief comic relief wise enjoyable character 
even less fleshed out than Hopper. Though. Okay, okay, <laughs> sure, sure. But you know the whole, they have a brother dynamic and there's there's some back and forth there. I don't need him to be fleshed out because he's not the main villain. I just yeah. want him to make me chuckle, you know? Right. My favorite part of his arc was being scared out of his skin. <laughs> yes. When the ants are charging. That was a good, a good scene. Hey, and maybe a final character, maybe he was losing his evilness. Maybe by finally, like he's been molting the whole time and maybe he was like, bloop. <laughs> well, he does at the end join the circus. Yeah. So he gets a more redemptive finish than his brother yeah. for sure. Anything else we want to comment on? Any of the characters or the animation? Shout out to the, is it Foley or Folly? <laughs> Foley? Foley? Foley artist. The squeaking, <laughs> the carapace squeaking was disgusting. And I feel like it was really, it really added to the evilness and terribleness of the grasshoppers. Wow. So there you go. The, the dry, say husky, that word. The carap- gross carapace? carapace is like the outside of the bug. You heard it here first from the <laughs> biology major, folks. I think. Uh, please don't quote me on that. Okay. No. <laughs> What's the I'm thorax? Sure. Is that the middle? Yeah. Okay. Or, I yeah. know things. The butt. The butt. Yeah. Oh. Okay. There you go. Thorax is the butt, folks. So now let's let's talk a little bit about what is this film trying to say about people. So it's about bugs. It's about their the way they relate to each other. But what is this saying about society at large? You mentioned a little bit about kind of the identity of these characters and how they're wrestling with them. But yeah, say more about what you think this movie has to say about culture. I think there's interesting people that, you know, when he was talking to Bloop, Drip, what's her name? Dot. (laughs) Yep. Thank you. Yes. But he's talking to Dot and she kind of wasn't getting the concept of the seed growing into the tree. And she's like, yeah, but it's just a rock. Like, I think there are people that are really innovative and really introspective and they have the hope and the drive to continue to communicate that to people no matter who doesn't understand. Like it's, there's Mm -hmm. like that spark in certain people that are the go-getters, the self-starters, like people that really can bring the passion, the drive, they really bring it into their jobs, their friend circles, yeah, we know those people, you know, like the the Energizer Bunny kind of people. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, we have friends like that, right? I think Flick is so obsessed with contributing and mm-hmm. being creative in the way he does that. But in the end, he is really seeking affirmation more than anything. So there's this fear and it's driving some good things, maybe, question mark, but... It's also very, yeah, a self-serving kind of approach. Yeah, it tends yeah. to be just a, an endless hole to fill. Um, what did you think, Porter? What was your take on that? Um, yeah, in terms of my view of what this movie is saying about society, I think it is trying to instill a sense of hope. So we have the characters originally think, oh, this is just how it is. The ants pick the food, the grasshoppers eat it. We're kind of trapped in this cycle of oppression. And the movie shows them breaking out of that feeling. But it kind of just grounds it in a sense of, well, at first they have the hope in something false. So they have a hope that these warriors are going to come and rescue them. But we know that that's a deception. They're actually not warriors. Hmm. But then there's this arc of, okay, they're starting to celebrate. They're starting to believe. Ants don't need to be stomped on in this way but then at the end of the movie they 
when they find out that they were circus act, they kind of lose that hope. And even though they had a plan in place, they choose to abandon it. But then we, we go to the, the very end and it seems like that hope is renewed, but it comes in this sort of collective action. So the bugs all lunk, lunk. The bugs <laughs> all link arms and they move forward together. And it's kind of, it seems to me at least, the movie is trying to say that, yeah, hope is found in collective action. And you have these oppressors. It's pretty like direct metaphor of like Hopper is on the nose in his oppression. He literally is just, what does he call the ants? Like soil moving, worthless. Yeah, they're literally in that one scene where they crash through the ceiling, they're literally tormenting and traumatizing them. Like it's textbook oppression. And it's, it is, it's a form of slavery, honestly. Yes. Yeah. So the, the hope is grounded in this sort of action together. So I think it, it makes sense. You know, it's just kind of encouraging democracy, a collective action, and fighting back against the small group of elite people who have power over us, who maybe, you know, or have power over a specific group. Hmm. But I don't, it's not that interesting the way it says it. No. It just says it. I think what's interesting when you're talking about collective action is how the action only really came when a group of diverse circus bugs join the ant colony too. sure what are your thoughts on that yeah i can see that that the ants needed some external perspective some different voices to help them develop that hope and flick was the one from within right flick is sort of a different like perspective from within the community because he he's been preaching things don't have to be the same way all the time so yeah i that's what i i think the movie's trying to get at but like you said at the end of it it doesn't leave me feeling really satisfied or really confident or really pumped up about democracy. But I think that might be what they were hinting at. We have talked about Flick and kind of his journey a little bit, but I want to talk about the metaphor of the seed. But I do think there's something interesting in that uh, metaphor that they talk about between the seed and how you grow into a tree. So what did you think about that speech at the beginning of the movie where Flick, he says to Dot, this seed will eventually grow into a tree. So he's encouraging her, there's potential within you. So don't discount yourself. Don't see yourself as weak or incapable because you're a seed right now and you will one day grow into a tree. What did you think about that scene, Caroline? That was so endearing. Like he was encouraging her. I feel like he could have probably taken some of his own advice in that way. Maybe not put so much pressure on himself and producing results right away and continuing to have hope in developing ideas and waiting out, like having maybe more patience in life, patience with yourself and the understanding that good things take time and effort. And yeah, part of growing and her journey of getting her wings I was so cute. I thought that she was very cute, which was why it was so hard to watch <laughs> her Hopper, be. Pick her yeah, up. yeah, it yeah. was hard to watch her get picked on because you could, you just believed in her and like identified with that. Of like, yeah, like even if there are no obvious results, you have to believe that there are uh, seeds being sown for later harvest. And yeah, like we reap what we sow, but there is patience in the waiting and in the growing. Yeah. I really appreciate how 
the movie addresses failure and how it doesn't need to define you. Because at the beginning of the movie, Flick is just seen as a failure. And I think he is kind of immune to that in a sense where he's not even, he doesn't necessarily see himself as a failure at the beginning, even though everyone else does. But eventually along the way, he starts to see himself as a failure. He thinks his ideas have failed and that he's not good enough. And he kind of reaches this point of sadness. And that's when Dot returns the favor and she picks up a rock and says, hey, pretend this is a seed. And I think that is the best part of the movie, the best scene. I te- is the only part I teared up a little bit, I have to admit. But I think that moment where she says to him, hey, there's potential within you and you don't need to see yourself as a failure. I think it was a nice thing. I liked that none of the ideas that they tried worked. I really liked that the bird saved the day in the end. Spoiler alert. Hopefully people have listened to the movie at this point. Because, yeah, like even the collective effort, mm-hmm. like what seemed like the was antithesis of the entire movie, didn't at the end of the day save them. It grew them. There was character development. But the bird at the end of the day killed Hopper. And it wasn't any of their specific efforts, really, that helped. But in, in the effort, little Bloop got her wings. Dot. <laughs> Sorry, Dot got her wings. Yes. Sorry, I, I don't mean to bully her. I genuinely can. I'm just remembering now little kids were calling her like drip or whatever. That's totally not my intention. Yes, don't, <laughs> don't remember, belittle Dot. I can't remember her name. That's okay. Yeah, yeah. My, my thought is that the movie wants to show you that failure doesn't need to define you, but it doesn't have a clear answer of what does define you. So it doesn't say, I mean, maybe at the end of the day, it's working hard with your community. Maybe that's what defines you. But what I think is cool is that within the Christian worldview, we can also encourage people to say, there is potential within you. You have been gifted with gifts from God. You've been given his image. You reflect him. There's this hope of potential but that's not what ultimately we lean on for for satisfaction is, oh, the potential within me, right? I think in this movie, at the end of the day, Flick is able to reconnect with his, his gifts and, and work hard with his community. And like you said, it doesn't really completely work out anyway. But I think it's a good reminder to us as Christians that where we are defined is in God's grace. And so we are his workmanship created in advance for good works we've been created as gifted workers and servants but right before that verse it says this was by grace through faith right so it's not just something that we need to pull ourselves up from our bootstraps to define ourselves but we actually have the grace of god uh, to drive us forward uh yeah i don't think the movie really touches on that at all uh, but it does say to us that we don't have to look at ourselves through the lens of our weaknesses or mistakes. And I would I would also say that moment between Dot and Flick showed that uh, us discovering our gifts that God has given us and exploring those and leaning in and accepting our weaknesses and strengths is edifying mm-hmm. to those around us. And it is encouraging. And mastery it does not need to be a part of that in order to be a testament to our faith in Christ, our encouragement of one another, and our, yeah, just like a benefit, the benefit that a community can do as a whole. Yeah. I know for myself, I relate to that 
struggle of wanting to be perfect and holding myself to this standard of I need to be the best contributor to my community. I need to be creative. I need to be successful. And it can be pretty exhausting to to put that pressure on ourselves. And I know, Caroline, we're in community right now. We're in an intentional community of prayer, of fellowship, and we are navigating our own frailties and our own yeah, it's an interesting thing where we grow in spiritual depth, but we also grow in an awareness of our own weaknesses, right? Yeah, for me, there's a a temptation to compare not gifts, but how well we're using them and how frequently we tap into them. Like if I'm watching, like I feel like I enjoy being creative, but when I watch someone else excel at their creativity and be using those gifts more, I feel often intimidated or down on myself or hard on myself that I'm not doing it as much as this other person which is so backwards and and yeah and and it's hard to be it's hard to share that with people and to be vulnerable with that because Mm -hmm. you feel that constant comparison but again at the end of the day maybe your expression of your gift is completely different than this other person and yeah everyone is literally uniquely might have the same gifts but the way that they apply them is completely different so I think it's important to no matter what other people have and what how they're using it, being being aware that your expression of that will be different because mm-hmm. you are inherently a different being. Yeah, absolutely. And that if you do want to grow, the best way to grow is not to focus on that other person and what they have that you don't, but to rely on the one who is growing us. That's the thing is in this movie, it's kind of like, we can grow ourselves maybe, or how do we become a tree? We work hard, uh, but we have one who is growing us and making us new. And I think you're right that comparison can often be the thief of that growth. I think it's also interesting that at the end of the movie, everyone seemed more similar to Flick. I think it's interesting that his positivity and creativity rubbed off on everyone. I think that's a, an interesting, I don't know. I don't know what to do with that. I just kind of thought of how much that influenced everyone and how that was the winning attribute that was. And so I think what I'm, where I'm going with that is if we are becoming more and more like Christ, we will look similar in certain areas, even though those will be expressed differently. But having the fruits of the spirit and exhibiting love and joy and peace, there are themes that are good and that are fulfilling and do bring us hope and meaning. Do are similar themes, but Mm. they are individually different. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, there there can be a unaligning of personalities, not in the sense of we're all identical, but we all are becoming more and more like Christ. And so we are going to be caring for each other and caring for our community in converging ways. Okay, Caroline, it's that part of the show now where we're going to tell each other which character you were in the movie. Okay. So you're going to tell me what character you think I was, Mm -hmm. and then I'll tell you who you were. Do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? Sure, I can go first. Okay. Um, I struggled with this one. I think I spent the entire movie thinking about it. I think that you're a combination of two characters. Okay. I think in stature and intellect, you are slim. Yeah, (laughs) slim. But in motivation and creativity, you are flick. Okay. Thank you. That's that's cool. So I do like slim. You're slick. <laughs> slick? 
No, his name's Slim, I think. I know, I'm combining them. Oh, slick. Okay. Combined. Well, Slim, he's so dramatic. Like, he, he's a real actor. Like, he wants to be a performer. Yes. And you're right. He's he doesn't. Tall and he doesn't feel like he's being. T- <laughs> he doesn't feel like he's being taken seriously. He can be over dramatic sometimes. Yes. He, lay it on. Lay it on. He is good at his job. Thank you. Karen. But is deserving of more. Wow. I love it. I love it. Okay. So this one might feel out of left field. Okay. But we're gonna do it. Okay. Right. So you and I have had a lot of conversations recently, and I know you've had conversations. Am with I other the people. aphid? No. You are not the aphid. <laughs> You and I have had a lot of conversations recently, and I know you've had some with others as well about gender and oh, how no. you are. I, I know going. you've been thinking about kind of what it means to be a woman and caring, having male friends and female friends, and we have those conversations, right? Yeah. Just to be clear, I'm not struggling with my. I'm no. not having a gender identity no. issue. I'm just yes. There was that one time you at church. We were talking about gender roles, and there was just we were kind of exploring that we're not really sure that sometimes we feel restricted i know you and i both have felt yes. restricted yes. by gender roles in the past yeah so you are in my mind i'm gonna say this you're francis okay uh-huh, yeah because <laughs> francis learns to come so at the beginning of the movie he's a ladybug and people make think assume that he's a girl because he's a ladybug and so there's this kind of he has this defensive posture at the beginning of the movie where yeah. he's like no i'm a man, and he's kind of <laughs> defensive around gender. Yeah. But towards the end of the movie, he's able to appreciate some of the motherly yeah. uh, impulses that he has. And so I think you're someone who around gender is kind of becoming less defensive and more open to kind of conversations around yeah. gender and about... We've had good conversations about being friends as a guy and a girl and like what that entails. So... I know that's a weird, no, a weird thing good. to talk about, it's but do good. you see, you see I do. how I can say that? Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Also, everybody, call your mom. <laughs> yes. Call your mother. Moms are important. That's my, my message. Oh, that's sweet. So you, like Francis, are gaining an appreciation of motherhood. Yes. 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 Yeah. I, I see it, Porter. At first, I thought it was a dunk, but I see it. Okay. I'm glad. Well... That concludes things for today, folks. Thanks for tuning in. We aren't going to give a strong endorsement to A Bug's Life because, yeah, we have mixed reviews What would reviews you rate here. it? One out of seven because I think one out of ten is too long of a oh, scale. I usually do five. Summer. Oh, even better. Okay, I'm going to give it a three, three out of five. Mm, two and a half. Two and a half, yeah. It, it's it's movie. Pixar was still getting its feet under itself. Toy Story is amazing. Bug's Life is their next venture which is not as good but give it a watch if you have nostalgic feelings about the bug jokes from your childhood and there you have it there's our conversation on a bug's life as i listen back to that i think for the most part i still agree with most of our critiques of the film i don't think it's as cohesive of a script as a lot of pixar's best having said that There is one part I don't think we did justice to, no pun intended, and that is the call of this film to question the status quo of political and economic power in a society. Now, you might be thinking, whoa there, partner, isn't this a podcast about kids' movies? Stick to the poo-poo plata jokes, but hey, bear with me, because I do think that as Christians, there is a lot 
to be said for what this film encourages us to do, to question these status quos that can be put in place, not by God, but by unjust people. So there's a scene in the film when Hopper says this, the sun grows the food, the ants pick the food, and the grasshoppers eat the food. He's basically saying that's just the way it is. The natural order of things is for the ants to be these sort of slaves and for the grasshoppers to reap the benefits of the labor of these ants. And so often we kind of fall into these traps of thinking, oh, that's just the way it is about injustice in our world. So for example, oh, the rich get richer, the poor get poorer. Ah, oh, that's just what the way it is. Or what about, oh, it's a dog-eat-dog world out there. We just shrug and say, yeah, that's just the way it is. But as Christians, we know that that is not just the way it is. Jesus tells us in the New Testament that the last shall be first, and the first shall be last. Hmm. Think about that. We also hear Jesus say, blessed are the poor. Now, a lot of people refer to this as the upside-down nature of the kingdom of God. But as my friend Ellie would say, no, that's the right-side-up nature of the kingdom of God. We are the ones who are upside-down. So when Jesus tells us how it is, the natural order of things, he doesn't say stuff like, oh, the ants pick the food, the grasshoppers eat the food. He actually challenges the status quo that we settle for. Now, I'm actually not going to primarily focus on a New Testament text. We're actually going to go to the book of Leviticus, chapter 25. Now, you might not have expected me to go to Leviticus in episode two, but here we go. We're going to go there now. So in Leviticus 25, we see the institution of an event in the Israelite calendar called the Year of Jubilee. Now, the Year of Jubilee was every 50 years. And in this year, it says that liberty was to be declared throughout the land. Leviticus 25, 13 says, In this year of Jubilee, everyone is to return to their own property. It says, Consecrate the 50th year. Proclaim liberty throughout the land to all of its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. Each of you is to return to your own family property and to your own clan. Now, this means that people who had sold their land earlier were actually able to come back to the land that they had sold and they no longer owned. They were able to come back and live there. It also instituted the cancellation of debts. Those who were in indentured servitude were set free during the year of Jubilee. So on this day, God instituted a reset, a restoration of the economy, centering the economic life of Israel, not on accumulation, not on land ownership, but on care for the community and on reverence for God. So let's see some of the things that are basing, that God is basing this in. In verse 35, 
It says, if any of your fellow Israelites become poor and are unable to support themselves among you, help them as you would a foreigner and stranger so they can continue to live among you. Do not take interest or any profit from them, but fear your God so that they may continue to live among you. You must not lend them money at interest or sell them food at a profit. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan and to be your God. So what God is saying is, I am the one who brought you from slavery. I am the one who instituted liberty into your DNA as a nation. And so the way you treat each other is to be with justice and care, not with a heart for accumulation and greed. He who has ears to hear, let them hear. Now, we have an understanding of private property ownership in the United States that is more based on the ideas of John Locke, the Enlightenment rationalist philosopher, than on the biblical text. But let's see what God says specifically about the nation of Israel and their land, but let's see what God says in Leviticus 25. It says in verse 23, the land must not be sold permanently because the land is mine and you reside in my land as foreigners and strangers. Throughout the land that you hold as a possession, you must provide for the redemption of the land. Now, friends, isn't it true that so often injustice comes when we label things mine, 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 instead of God's, God's, God's. May we be people who recognize the giver who is God. And may we not be people who focus on accumulation and greed and the building up of a lot of generational wealth at the expense of our neighbors. Now, I'm not saying that we should input Levitical law into the American law code. In fact, it seems that as we look at the history of Israel, the year of Jubilee may not have even been implemented by them. But what I am saying is that the economic justice that God longs for, that God hopes for us, is so much deeper and richer and more in the direction of human flourishing than the stuff that we settle for, both on the right and the left. God longs for an ethic of care, a justice of restoration to be at the heart of his people and the way they interact with the economy and the way they interact with their neighbor. So may we be people who live into the restorative care and restorative justice of Yahweh, relying on the Spirit for every single step. So when we hear people say, eh, that's just how it is. The ants pick the food, the grasshoppers eat the food. That's the natural order of things. We can say, no, may it not be so, not with our God in charge. That's not how things are called to be. That's not the shalom that we long for. So as we see the wealth gap in our country increase and people just shrugging their shoulders and saying, eh, that's just the way it is. Economic injustice is a part of the system. It's a part of how life works. Oh no, not with my God in charge. May we be people who are willing to call out the lies of the status quo and say that there is something greater that we can work together towards 
centered upon an understanding of the restorative power of God. Not just restoring people economically, not just restoring uh, money, but a God who restores relationships, a God who restores communities, a God who is just. Now, I'm going to close with the end of O Holy Night, which is a Christmas song, but as we head into Easter, I think its lyrics are equally appropriate for us to reflect on. As we celebrate the death and resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ, may we hope for a future where God will restore the world and where evil will be swallowed up. The bird is not fake. God's justice will come. May we rejoice when we sing of the liberty that comes from the resurrection, the spiritual, physical, and emotional freedom that we have in Jesus Christ our Lord. So now listen to these words from the hymn, O Holy Night, which was written in 1843. Now, I'm not going to sing it for your sakes and for mine, but here we go. Truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother. And in his name, all oppression shall cease. Sweet hymns of joy, in grateful chorus raise we. Let all within us praise his holy name. Christ is the Lord. Oh, praise his name forever. His power and glory evermore proclaim. His power and glory evermore proclaim. In his name, in the name of Christ, all oppression shall cease. And let all that is within us praise his holy name. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. I hope you were inspired to praise God and to go out and watch some Pixar. Now, you can find me on Twitter or Instagram at Porter Sprague. That's Sprague with two Gs. And you can also find me on Patreon.com. If you like the podcast and want to become a monthly supporter, you can support me at Patreon, search Porter Sprig, and you can get access to bonus content, bonus episodes, and some other things that you'll find there on the website. If you're not a huge fan of the show, but you also just want to help a brother out, feel free to support me on Patreon as well. I'm a poor seminary student right now, just bebopping through life, trying to make ends meet, so any sort of support is very appreciated. The opening and closing music is performed by the one and only Maggie Bishop, my cousin and friend. You can check her out on Spotify. She's pretty great. Goodbye, and God bless you.